Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and we'll read our... uh, text that we chose last week when I started this, this uh, portion of my series. Started a series several weeks ago on three uh, ways that believers must cooperate with the indwelling spirit. We know that all believers, this doesn't have anything to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is a, a legitimate, important, critical uh, ministry and, and gift that believers uh, should have in their lives. But uh, setting that aside for a moment, just every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. As a result of being born again, the Spirit of God comes to live on the inside as the teacher and the guide and comforter and so forth. But there are three uh, particular ways that, that we need to cooperate with the indwelling Spirit in order to get the most out of His ministry in our lives. And so we went over the first two, uh, and then last Sunday uh, started on the third one. But the first one, we need to understand that constant renewals of the Holy Spirit are necessary. And this means renewals of the strengthening of the Spirit and, uh, and so forth. And this comes as a result of waiting upon the Lord in word and in prayer. And then number two, the second thing is we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. Now, walking in the Spirit doesn't mean walking around with your head in the clouds, you know, sort of in a dream land, you know, as uh, Randy Greer calls it, the spooky natural. And uh, that's, that's not what walking in the Spirit is. Walking in the Spirit is, first of all, is walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that need to be, those are the fruit of the Spirit. And if you read Ephesians chapter, Galatians chapter 5, we don't have time to do it today, but we've gone over it. Look at it again if you need to. In, in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but it sets it inside the, the, the uh, uh, per- uh, perimeter of, of walking in the Spirit. It talks about walking in the Spirit not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And then, it's, then it gives the, the, the uh, works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So to walk in the Spirit is, first of all, to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That's walking in the Spirit, walking in love. Love, we, we discovered, is the fir- very first fruit of the Spirit that is manifested in a believer's life. Because if you don't have love, the Bible says, you're not even saved. That's how, in one place in 1 John, it says, this is how we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, you, you, you really don't have any reason to even say you're saved. That's the truth. Amen. So anyway, we talked about that walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit uh, is also uh, uh, being led by the spirit. That's an important part of, uh, of being uh, of, of walking in the spirit. And then we started talking about uh, learning the ways of the spirit last week. This is the third thing that every believer who's indwelt by the spirit must uh, come to recognize or, or, or cooperate with. And that is learning the ways of the spirit. And this is the one thing that I think that is that doesn't get a lot of, of preaching. Not a lot of people minister on this because at the, uh, on the surface it doesn't sound very positive. 
It could sound discouraging until you get the whole truth. And so we talked about uh, last week, we introduced it. And so let's go to, to Isaiah 55. And we read this last week, we'll read it again today. 55, and let's look at verses, uh, start in verse number 8, and we'll go through... Uh, We'll go through verse 11. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, get my clock going here. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain, (coughs) excuse me, For as the rain comes down, excuse me, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and bring it, make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread for the, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God says he has some intentions. He said, my word will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the things for which I sent it. God has uh, certain uh, intentions, things that he wants to accomplish in our lives. And it's not not always going to come to pass the way we think it should. Amen. My thoughts are not your thoughts, he said. My ways are not. God has his own ways. We must learn the ways of the Spirit so that we can trace uh, God in all the circumstances that form our daily life with him. Now, I did not say that God causes all the circumstances. But in all the circumstances, we can still trace God working. And that's the part that uh, isn't preached very often. We must learn the ways, way, the way and the ways, plural, of the Spirit. How He works uh, through situations that come our way. Amen. One of the greatest lessons we can learn is that God has His own way of working out His will in our lives. And so this is the other side of the mountain. We talked many times about the the illustration that you look at a mountain and you look at it from one side, you have one view. But if you go around on the other side of the mountain, look at it, it looks like a different mountain. And yet it's the same mountain. It's just a different aspect. Well, Bible truths are a lot that way. And we see them from one side and, and we like the side we like. We like the side of certain truths, you know, that, that are easy on us and, and are easy to understand, easy to explain and so forth. And there are other sides that sometimes we don't understand as well as, as, well as we should. Some people go so far as say, well, that other side's not true. <clears throat> but all, all sides of God's word is true. All sides of God's word, all sides are true. And, uh, uh, So when it comes to God working out his will in our lives, uh, we need to look at this scripture. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, and this is kind of an eye-opener. 
And a lot of times we look at this verse and we just pass it off and say, well, this is just talking about Jesus. But uh, it means something to us as well. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 8 says, though he, talking about Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If Jesus, if Jesus had to suffer things in order to learn obedience, and in order to be perfected, and if he's going to be provide eternal salvation to all who obey him, would you, would you think maybe obeying him might also include suffering things? Well, that was a little weak. Jesus learned obedience. Jesus did. And was perfected. Now, when the Bible uses the word perfected, uh, we think of, of perfection in the sense of, of absolute uh, you know, something being absolutely right in every, in every way. And so we, we think of ourselves, well, how could we ever be perfect in this life? It's really talking about maturity. When the King James, New King James, other Bibles, when they read being perfected, one, one other translation sometimes is used and it's the word complete. Well, completion has to do with maturity. Jesus was learned obedience, and was perfected or matured by the things which he suffered. Now, a lot of times when people think about suffering, I would say probably 90% of the church world, when, they, when ministers teach on suffering, they bring into that concept being sick and tragedies and uh, you know, loss of loved ones and, and, and misfortunes, financial, other type of misfortunes as all is uh, of part of Christian suffering. And that's not what this is talking about. Jesus, this couldn't refer to sickness because Jesus was never sick until he went to the cross. And we have to understand the difference in, in what he suffered as our substitute as compared to what he suffered as our example. The things that he suffered substitutionally for us, we don't need to suffer because he did it for us. In other words, we don't have to suffer with sin because he bore our sins. So it's not the will of God that we live in sin. It's not the will of God that we suffer the consequences of sin or anything, have anything to do with sin. Because he took our sins away that we would not have to bear them. Isn't that right? Well, he also took our sickness away so we don't have to bear that. We, sh- we don't have to be sick. So don't, don't ever let anybody, uh, uh, you know, pass this idea off to you that, well, you know, if you're, you've got this illness, you're suffering, you know, because of, of the plan of God. No, that's not the plan of God. Suffering doesn't involve. Now, you could be suffering with sickness, but that's not the will of God. You could be suffering with lack and misfortune and all those other tragedies and things that happen, but that wouldn't be the will of God. Amen. Because Jesus didn't experience those things except when he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, uh, Isaiah 53 verse 10 in, in, in one translation says, Jehovah has made him sick. He became sick on the cross for us. 
He was also made poor on the cross. He took our poverty on the cross. So we don't have to be poor. Amen. But he did suffer some things. Uh, Now, before I go into that, here's something that's interesting. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And as a result of that, he was perfected. He was brought to maturity. Now, how, how in the world could the son of God lack maturity? How could he, how could he need to be matured or, per, or per, perfected or, or, or anything like that? He's the son of God. He's God. But you remember in, in uh, I think it's in Luke's gospel, that after Jesus, you know, uh, the incident that, you know, that happened in, in Jerusalem, uh, well, actually, this was before then. I think it's in the third chapter of, of, of Luke, if I'm, if I'm right. Even as a small child, it says that, that he grew in wisdom and in stature, in stature and in wisdom, both with God and man. Well, growing in stature is obvious. He was born as a baby. He had to grow up physically. But it says that he also grew in wisdom. That means that he advanced in wisdom. Well, if you advance in wisdom, when you get to the more advanced side, you have more wisdom than you had before. That means that, that previously you lacked a certain amount of wisdom. Now, we think of Jesus as a youngster. You know, every youngster uh, has to learn and grow. And we know he was he was human in every, every sense of the word. So he went through everything that any other child goes through growing up. But we think that only applies to his youth. Have you ever, I don't know if you think the way I do, but my mind thinks this way. I, I, I look at, at truths in the Bible and, and I question sometimes, how did this happen? How in the world, now when Jesus was born as an infant, infant you, you can't believe that he knew then he was God. He was a baby. By the time he was 12 years old, though, you don't remember what happened when he was 12, when he was left behind, you know, because his, his mom and dad thought he was in the company of their relatives going back to, to their home. And they left him in Jerusalem, but it was because he was in the temple. He was supposed to be with his relatives, but he wasn't. And three days they were looking for him. And when they found him, they said, why have you done this? Why, you know, can you imagine as a parent, you'd be rather ready, ready to throttle your kid, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be ready to get that belt out. And his, and his mother said, why have you done this to us? And he said, what? <laughs> Basically, he said, what? What, what, what? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Now, did he know that he was God? In the flesh? You could think, well, maybe he just realized that God was his father. You know, like, like just as all of the people of God, God would be their father. But if that's the case, he would realize that his mom and dad were children of God and his relatives were children of God. He didn't say, I have to be about our father's business. He said, I have to be about my father's business. That tells me that at 12 years of age, he had some insight. I always wonder, how did that happen? What was, well, I would like to just like have a video on him when, when the understanding came that he was God. I mean, he, when he was an adult, he said, 
you, you, you say, you know, you, you criticize me because I say I'm God. He said, I am God. He claimed to be God. I wonder what, he, what his face looked like when that came into his consciousness. That's a, that's a pretty radical thing. I mean, did it come gradually? But even if it came gradually, there had to be a point of epiphany. How do you deal with that? He had to grow in wisdom. He had to grow in understanding. Well, that process, when he became a man and went into, he was just as much human at 30 years of age when he started his ministry as he was when he was 12. Or was when he was three. So if, if a child and a young person and a teenager and a young adult has to grow in wisdom, thank God we do. <laughs> thank God we don't stay like 12-year-olds. And you come into maturity, you come into adulthood, you still are growing in wisdom all of your life. Why would that be different for Jesus? Yes, he was God, but he was also man. He experienced everything, relates to everything, just like a man does. So he grew in wisdom. And it says he, he, uh, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Aren't you glad he suffered? When he faced Gethsemane, he did not want to go to the cross. Even though he had already told his disciples he was going, and he said, that's the reason I came into this world, was to die on the cross. He was telling them ahead of time what he was about to suffer, and they said, oh, no, not so, Lord, far be it from you. He said, no, that's why I was born. Yet when he faced it, when it came down to that hour, it was hard. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. But if possible, he didn't want to go to the cross. How did he, how did, how did he have the strength to submit to the will of God? The Bible says that he suffered so much in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was so, it was so tormenting to him that his, that his sweat became like drops of blood pouring out on the ground in great agony. How did he agree to, how, how did he have the strength by all the things he had suffered up to that point? That's what gave him the strength. He had learned obedience through the things which he suffered and being made fully mature, he became our savior. Isn't that what it says? And having been matured, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who believe or all who obey him. So he was able to fulfill his mission in life and his calling because of the things he suffered. Now I told you last week, you know, that when you start talking about suffering, people can kind of get, you know, kind of down and kind of quiet, doesn't sound very exciting. But I guarantee you, if you stay with this, you're going to see before it's over, to your absolute amazement, you're going to be rejoicing about sufferings. You are. You are. Well, praise the Lord. Go with me to First Peter. I know we went over these scriptures last week, but I didn't get to say all I wanted to. First Peter, 
chapter 2. And let's look at verse 18 and 19. Well, we're going to go all the way down to verse 22 or 23, I think. Yep. In verse 18 says, First uh, Peter 2.18, Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. This would, in our culture, would apply mostly to employers, employees. Be submissive. Uh, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. You know, suffering for doing what's right can be a bitter pill. I mean, it can be difficult to, do you know you did right? And yet you're suffering because of it. That's, that's part of growing in Christ. Suffering for doing good. Not, not, he said it's, it's nothing. Uh, the next verse says, for what credit is it? When you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently. Notice taking it patiently would not include griping about it. Complaining about it. Filing a grievance with the HRS. Uh, if you take it patiently, this is commend. I didn't say there's never a time to file a grievance. I'm just saying that there are times when you just, if you're going to grow in God, you just have to take some things. You know, we, we talked last week, we brought up this scripture that, that Jesus, when he came here, the Bible says that uh, he humbled himself and became a man. He left heaven. And as the eternal son of God allowed himself to be uh, born as a baby uh, and took upon himself humanity. And it says in Ephesians, there are Philippians rather in, in chapter 2, I think it's verse 7, that he, that he emptied himself or uh, another translation says he laid aside his mighty power and glory. Now, he didn't cease to be God but he laid aside the power and the glory that goes with God. So, well, he was powerful and glorious. He was powerful and glorious in his earthly ministry as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. A man anointed by, that's how that power and glory worked. It didn't come, it didn't operate on him because he was God. He laid his prerogatives down. One translation says he laid aside his, his rights and privileges as God. So when he turned water into wine, he didn't do that in, in the ability that's inherent in God. He did that as a man who had the anointing of the Holy Ghost and he did it through the gifts of the Spirit. Special faith, working of miracles, those gifts of the Spirit are available today to people who are anointed by the Holy Ghost and he operated in those gifts of the Spirit. That's how he turned water into wine. That's how he uh, fed the multitudes. That's how he healed the sick and raised the dead. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us today. But the point is, he laid aside his rights and privileges. Now, you know... When we give up our rights and privileges, our rights and privileges, you know, like, like on the job, for instance. Maybe you do right. You do the right thing and you're criticized and you suffer for it. And, and you might have the right 
You might have the right to make a fuss about it. You might have the right to call somebody on the carpet. You might have the right to go to, to HR. You might have the right to file a grievance. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will tell you don't do it. Why is that? Because part of spiritual growth is learning to suffer wrongfully, not just suffer out of your control, but suffer because you allow yourself to suffer. You allow yourself to take it. Remember when Paul was writing to the church about people going to law in, in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, he's talking about some of you take one another, some of you take you know, your brother or sister to law. And he said, you know, you do this and you take somebody to law and you go before the world. You go before a, a, a worldly judge. He said, you remember this verse? He said, why don't you just rather take wrong? Why don't you just rather take it when you're done, when, when somebody in the church does you wrong? Why don't you just take it? Sometimes the spirit of God will tell you, don't press this. Now, I know it's not right. God will pat you on the back and say, I know it's not right, son, but don't answer. Take it. Well, you know, these are things that cause us to grow. Amen. Let's go on reading in uh, 1 Peter. Verse 21 says, for to this you were called. To what? Suffering wrongfully. Well, praise the Lord. Whoo, thank God for his calling on our life. <laughs> oh, are you, I'm called of God. Woo, glory to God. God's called me. Yeah, he's called all of us to suffer wrongfully. Isn't that fun? <laughs> for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example. Now, now you see, right away, well, he suffered. He's not talking about being on the cross. This is not talking about being on the cross. He tells us what this is like in just a minute. What kind of, what this example was. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he, thre- he did not threaten, but commit- he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, the next verse tells us couldn't be talking about sickness. The next verse says he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin living to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So this couldn't be talking about sickness as he bore that substitutionally, but he left an example of suffering when he was reviled. What does being reviled, what does that even mean? That means being seriously criticized. That means when you are cussed, when you are called names, when you are treated shamefully for your testimony, for living right. Notice, when he was reviled, he did not revile back in return. When he suffered, suffered what? Well, he did not threaten. When are you tempted to threaten somebody? When they've been mean to you. Isn't that right? When somebody's been flat out mean to you, wrong, insulting. He didn't threaten back. He had resources at hand. Remember those 12 legions of angels that were on standby? I mean, you talk about having, having resources. He said, I could call right now on, on my father and he'd send 12 legions of angels to deliver me. 
So this little Pharisee over here, I mean, you're just like a little bug. He did not threaten. He didn't call them names. He didn't revile. He didn't speak. It's hard to be spoken against. Now, you, you, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't lived very long. That's the truth. Amen. We talked last week about he suffered being tempted. We're not going to go over that again. He suffered being tested. But then we saw this all, First, Second Timothy 3.10 through 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We went over how the 12 uh, 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 apostles, the original 12 apostles suffered. We talked about, we didn't look into it, but we referred to how Paul suffered. Uh, but I want to get into a little bit further today. Spiritual, here's the point, spiritual maturity cannot be achieved without suffering. Spiritual maturity cannot be achieved without suffering. We already see that Jesus was perfected by the things which he suffered. He was mature. Jesus Jesus was brought to mature. If Jesus needed to be matured and he had to suffer, then certainly we need to be matured and certainly we're going to have to suffer. Because I would submit to you that we, we are far less mature than he was at this stage in our life. And we have a greater need of mature. Even though Jesus had to mature, he was doing well. And he still had to suffer some things in order, in order, in order, in order to be, to be brought to maturity. He had to suffer. Well, then that just tells me I do too. There's just no way around it. We also pointed this out. We won't look into this again, but you're familiar with this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and to be tested by the devil. Wow. We, we, uh, we think anytime we fall into testing or trying, well, it's just all, you know, God, the devil did this. Here it says Jesus was led by the Spirit. To this place of tempting. God didn't authorize the tempting and the testing. That's just the nature of the devil. But the spirit led Jesus to the place. To put him in the environment. To put him in the situation. Where the devil being the devil is going to do what the devil does. And And the spirit of God led him. Wow, that, that's, that's something that we really, uh, we, we say we believe that. We say we know that, but we don't really think about that a whole lot. We don't expect that to happen. But if it happened to him, you think it might happen to you? Some of the things that you and I have been resistant to and thought, I just rebuke this, I'm not going through this. If, if, if the truth was told, the spirit was involved in it. We'll say that again. Some of the things you and I have gone through that in the middle of it, we're just rebuking the devil. I don't have to put up with this. I'm not, I'm not, I've just refused to. If the truth were known, we were going through that. Not that God did it because the devil's just the devil or people are just people. And, and sometimes that's the same thing. Uh, no, God, God wasn't responsible for that. But if the truth was told, 
The Spirit of God caused us to be in that situation on purpose. For this reason, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be for the purpose of, in order that the devil might tempt him. Well, I know you're, 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 you're nodding, but you're, you're, you're wondering about it. This is how our faith is brought to maturity. Just, listen, just knowing the word and confessing the word will not mature us. Great faith doesn't come from just feeding on the word and confessing it. That's not how great faith comes. Great faith comes by feeding on the word, confessing the word, speaking the word, but then ultimately acting on the word. And acting on the word requires some effort. And and it requires facing opposition. Because everything that you do to act on the word, the devil is going to resist it. He's going to try to push against it. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth that said, great faith comes from great battles. Great faith doesn't come from just believing and confessing. Great faith comes from great battles. You know, that's that's true in every arena. Can you, think of, can you think of some great victories uh, that, that the United States has had in war? Somebody mentioned one. What's one of the great victories? Huh? Well, I'm talking about battles, though. D-Day. We, 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 we prevailed. But you know what it cost us to get to the top of those cliffs? It was a great victory it took several days in, in, in a couple of weeks to get the victory in that area. But it, but it was a great battle. that was the, the Battle of Midway. What a great victory. But boy, it came at, 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 a, at a high cost. It was a, it, was a, it was a great struggle in order to... You don't have great victories without great struggles. I'm not talking now in, in military people die. You don't have to die. But there will be a struggle of, of, of that nature. In other words, of the severity. In order to have a, a really serious victory, it's going to take some serious struggle. Well, praise the Lord. You just you stay with me. You'll get it. Go, go to James chapter 1. Verse 2. My brother, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be what? Mature, perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. We all want to, we all want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, but we don't want to go through the testing that brings it. <laughs> Oh, glory. Now, now notice in, uh, in verse 6, he says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a, driv- is, is like a wave of the sea, driven uh, and tossed by the wind. Oh, yeah, the word doubting, let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For he who doubts, that word doubt there can mean, most of the time it's translated to waver between the two. But I found another interesting actual literal translation. Now, the King James there where it says, uh, uh, let him ask in faith with no wavering, is that what it says? Now, why does the King James say wavering? That Greek word literally means to withdraw from. To draw back from. See, when you when you are facing a situation where there's a where there's a test and a trial, it's easy to draw back from that. How do you draw back from it? Well, you give up on whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Because it's just not worth it, you think. It's just not worth going through all of this. When the when the enemy comes with opposition, uh you were tempted to waver, but, but God's, God's not behind the temptation because God doesn't tempt anybody, and he, but, but he does allow us to go through things because it will perfect our faith. It will mature us. All of the, of the difficulties that have come your way as a result of obeying God when you've set out, when you set out to obey God, you're going to have problems. And all of the difficulties that have come your way as a result of obeying God. God wasn't in the difficulty, but God was in the situation the entire time. He was there and he was, he, he was leading you to stay steady. Learn to take it. That's how you become strong in God. That's, that's what gives us stability. Is that perseverance through the difficult times. It's good for you. It's good for me. We don't like it. That's why he said, just go ahead and count it all joy. Because it doesn't feel joyful. He said, just count it all joy. Now notice, count it all joy knowing this. See, if you know that the testing of your faith works patience, you will say, It doesn't feel joyful, but I know the end result. I'm going to end up being mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's what your tests and trials are are designed. They're designed by the enemy to, to defeat you, but God has a different plan in them. He doesn't cause them, but he has a plan that will work when we're in them. And it it is to bring us to maturity and completion. Oh, glory to God. So brighten up when you're going through a difficult time. Brighten up, not because you feel like it, but because of what you know. Knowing this. Oh, hallelujah. I wish I had time to meddle. Glory to God. Hallelujah. These things will either make us or break us. It's up to us, really. Jesus said, in this world, you will have temptation. You will have tribulation. You will have persecution. But be of good cheer. He said, I've faced it all and I overcame. I've faced it all. I've left the example for you. You can follow in my steps. I overcame and you'll overcame. In, in, in Mark chapter 10, 
uh, Jesus was teaching and he said, no man has left uh, houses or family or lands or, or all these things except that he will receive a hundred times more land and how we all like the land and the houses being multiplied back to us. He said, you'll receive all of this back with, come on, you know, I know you know this verse better than this. I know you know the answer. Come on, all of you. What is it? With persecutions. Persecutions come with the lands. Persecution comes with the houses and the lands and the goods and the blessings. Persecution comes with it. So when the persecution comes, oftentimes believers give up. When the test and trial comes in your family, you give up. Instead of standing strong, instead of just letting the test and trial come and just in the, in the power and grace of God, just endure. Sometimes when people are criticizing you, I faced that when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord. Now, before, before I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I started, when I started working, I was just 17 years old when I, when I took this job with, with Western Electric, which was the uh, installation arm of the, of the bell system. And so we worked in the, in the big uh, telephone offices installing all the switch gear that Southern Bell and, and whether Northern Bell or Western Bell all around the country the local bell com- company owned all the switchgear in those buildings and they operated them and, and tested and, main- and maintained them and you know, worked on them and processed them. But somebody had to install that stuff. They didn't install them, we did. That was the job of Western Electric. We had a manufacturing arm, we manufactured all that gear and then I was in the installation arm and we installed it. Well, I was a, a, a rebel and I was a big mouth. And, and, and I wasn't, I was a big mouth, but a lot of it was, 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 I was goaded because I, I came to, I was only 17 and I was working with a lot of, of men that were the age of my dad or maybe slightly younger. A lot of them were World War II veterans and I was a, I was a liberal and they were very conservative. And so I suffered some, some criticism because I was such a, you know, such a, uh, I was so outspoken and and, uh, unconventional that I just, you know, I I rub people the wrong way some. But generally speaking, once they got to know me, uh, you know, I was pretty likable and we we got along. But man, when I got back in a fellowship with the Lord, you'd have thought like I'd just, you know, gotten demon possessed or something. I suffered so much criticism on the job. People, te- they, they didn't understand what was going on. Because when I got back in a fellowship with the Lord, I made a 180 degree turn. I was going in a completely different direction. And, uh, uh, you know, I used to sit at the, at the table and play cards, you know, at lunchtime and smoke and cuss and, you know, during lunch and just enter into all that. When I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I stopped doing that. I would take my Bible and I'd sit over there by myself in the, in the, lunch room, the break room or wherever we were. And I would, and I would eat my sandwich that Angela so wonderfully made for me every day. And I would eat my sandwich and drink my sweet tea and I would read my Bible. And it, it just, they didn't know what, I don't think they believed it. 
And you talk about being criticized. I mean, there are one or two people that just really just pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. And I can't say that every time I responded very well. But most of the time, I kept my mouth shut and just took it. Because I really didn't have very many answers. I was real good at answering the other side, but I didn't have a lot of answers here. And I just, I just kept my mouth shut. And sometimes I said dumb things without thinking. One day we were out to eat with a, with a bunch of guys. We, we were at a particular telephone office over in the San Marco area. And we went to a little diner next door, which I was accustomed to do with, with, the, with the crew. You know, it was the, the um, supervisor and a couple of other, about five guys were sitting at the diner. diner and they're just talking their garbage, you know. And I'm just minding my own business, having lunch, you know. And one of them says, that, well, you know, you haven't had anything to say. And here's, here's where I would get myself into trouble. I didn't mean it wrong, but I, 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 this is what, how I felt. And, I, and my answer was, well, I haven't heard, heard anything discussed that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> well. <laughs> so I would say dumb stuff like that every now and then and get myself into trouble. Well, who do you think you are? I think I said, so I haven't heard anything. Int- I said, I haven't heard anything interesting enough to even comment on. I think that's what I said. <laughs> Anyway, I got myself into trouble. So people talked about me. But you know what I found out? That, that, I, 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 I went to work there in 1970. I got back in fellowship in the summer. It was 1970. I got back in the fellowship, Lord, in the fall of 72. And I was out of town. I got transferred back, still working in the, in the, in the main switch offices. And uh, we called them central offices. And I worked there from 73 on then to 76 so for three years, I put up with that. But I, 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 more than anything, more than not, I just let people talk about me and criticize me behind my back. And they would criticize me behind my back because I'd hear them. And, uh, but you know, in three years time, I, I, I began to prove myself. And God moved me out of that division and put me into to the field operations center installing PBXs, which was considered the gravy job. I mean, because you didn't have to work in the big house, you know, every day, the big telephone office. You could go out to businesses and take, you know, put private branch exchanges in, you know, small telephone systems and business. You got to go all over town and actually from Fernandina all the way down to, to south of St. Augustine. We, you know, we, that was our territory and we just put, it was a gravy job. And I had a much smaller group of people, and my supervisor was born again. Actually, I had two supervisors at different times. They were both born again, and they loved me, and we just got along great. So what I'm saying is I passed the test, and I got moved into another situation. Not, not that God will get you out of tests and trials, but he moved me in a place where I was more influential. My testimony was respected and I was able to begin to speak into people's lives and they actually saw something in me because I heard them, I heard them talking about me behind my back for good. Well, praise the Lord. You, 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 you do that by learning obedience through the things you suffer. Well, praise the Lord. It's good for you. Glory to God. And I'm out of time. i I wanted to get into more, but maybe tonight or next week I'll get into more. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, there is victory in suffering. 
There is, there is, here's what, I'll say it differently. There is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth will come out of the things that you suffer for God. Spiritual growth will come out of it. I suffered some things. I'll go into more detail. I suffered some things when I left the phone company. I had to give up some things. And, and, and I left and got into the ministry. And oh, brother, I never suffered so much stuff in my life to when I, we went into the ministry. But, but there's, there's some maturity that's involved. Pastor Greg told me this week, now when he graduated from, he and Amy graduated from Ramah, they had it in their heart to come back here and to help us. He had been raised in this church. How old were you when we first started the church? Five? Six? And uh, he had it in his heart by the Spirit of God to come back here and help us. But when he was at Ramah, and I knew part of this, but while he was at Ramah, he... And, and Amy was in the children's ministry uh, school the second year. And Greg was in the youth ministry training. The head director of the youth ministry in the Bible school, the, the main instructor that set, you know, all of the curriculum and everything. People would contact Rama just like they did later. People would contact Rama looking for pastors, looking for musicians, looking for youth leaders. So someone contacted Rama. Looking for a recommendation. Is there a real promising youth person that's coming out of your youth ministry college, you know, the school, that you would recommend for a church like ours? Now, Greg told me this. How long is that? 20 years ago? Almost. Yeah, 2000. So, 22 years ago. Dean Hawk was the, was the head of the of the school of, re, of training young you know people going to youth ministry he told this person that called, this pastor that called he said I have one man that I can recommend he's the only man I can recommend nobody else has the qualifications for the job that, that you're offering him now the reason he said that is was it was a large church now Greg had told me all years ago that he turned down an opportunity to go to a large church, a really large church, and had a really large salary. And uh, Dean Hawk said, I've got one man, and he's the only one I can recommend. He didn't tell Greg who it was or all the details. He said, you, you know, this is, it's yours if you want the job. Greg turned that down to come here. Dean Hawk didn't recommend anybody else to that pastor. He didn't say, well, you know, here's the second person that I would choose. He said, I have nobody else that can do what Greg Anderson can do. Greg turned it down. I didn't know until this week. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because he never told me until this week. I'm not going to tell you the name of the pastor. It's not just a large church. It's a mega church. He's on television. You, every one of you would know his name. He's one of the top word of faith ministers in the country. And that was where Greg would have been. His salary would have, 
Well, the, the, Dean Hawk told him, he said, if you take this job, you will have unlimited resources. In other words, the budget, he didn't tell him how much it was, but what he was saying was the budget for the youth ministry is unlimited. You can have anything you want. You can put on a circus if you want to. You can do anything. You can have dancing clowns and bears and you can have anything. I mean, you could just literally, you could do anything. You could have the most elaborate program anybody could imagine. It's all there. Well, when he told me who it was, I'm thinking, yeah. The, the, the budget for their youth ministry is greater than the budget of our entire church. But he came here to be insulted by people. <laughs> that happens. To be disrespected sometimes. And you can't tell me that when those things happen, he doesn't think back and go, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> My point is, if you're going to follow God, it will look like it costs you. But in the end, it will pay you. That minister of that big church a few years ago got deceived into the false grace message. And he's still in it today. Now, Greg, not just, not just being having a huge salary at a big church like that, he would have been eventually, very quickly, a main speaker in the top youth camps in the nation, just simply because of his exposure of where he was. He would probably have his own church now. Serving, um, if everything being going the way it normally goes, he would have had to have gone along with this pastor, but you know, if you're out of the will of God, when God said, come back to, to, to high springs, you're out of the will of God, then you can be deceived. He could have ended up getting into false doctrine himself. He could have been promoted from youth pastor to having his own church. Life could have been completely different. The enemy will always try to say, yeah, you know, this is going to cost you. Look what you're laying aside. Yeah, but you're, you're, also go, you're also going to step aside some major defeat in your life by obeying God. Hallelujah. It, I'm telling you, it matters. God's way is not our way. He will lead us to do things sometimes that looks like this is just laying down and letting people walk on me. Being criticized, being reviled, being mistreated. All of us have experienced it. But if you, if you do it because you're doing right, because you're obeying God, I'm telling you, there's payday coming. And, and, and a lot of the victories that have come our way in life were not because of our outstanding faith. They were, out, they were because of our outstanding faithfulness. Our outstanding obedience, our outstanding just suffering and taking it and, and just leaving it in God's hands. That's why a lot of the times the blessing of God comes to us. Amen. Brother Hagen talks about, I know I'm running a little late. Brother Hagen talks about the time when he was, he was uh, one of the churches that he, that he pastored and how much he suffered in that church and how difficult it was. Later... 
when he was out in field ministry, his son, Pastor Ken, was in the army. And he was in Taiwan, and he was with some army buddies. They were out, you know, in R&R, and they were driving, riding motorcycles. And Ken Jr., his name at the time, Ken Jr.'s bike went off the mountainside. The bike went, was out, and he said it was over a thousand foot drop to the bottom. It would have killed him. He said his buddies testified that that bike went off the side of the mountain and in midair it changed direction and came back on the trail and those army body buddies eyes popped out like what did we just see and God supernaturally saved his life the Lord spoke to brother Hagen and said you know that church that you took where it was so difficult he said because you stayed steady that's why I was able to do that if you hadn't your son would not be coming home to you Little do we know. So we don't know all of, the, all of the benefits. But we know this. That the trying of our faith works patience. That we may be complete. Uh, mature and complete. And in all good things. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.